Jig just grinds that tape It's the dynasty crossroads Where film is everything The dynasty crossroads Where numbers are the king There may not be consensus But we'll give you everything Howard. I'm here with Jake Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at PA Howdy and him at NFL Draft Talker. We're here today to talk about Kiki Kute. Kiki Cootie. Cutie. <laughs> you, can, you, think, you think he's cute. You can say <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Whether you think he's cute or French, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure. We talk a little bit about our process and wide receivers from two different perspectives. Um, I'm more analytics focused. Jake is more film focused. This is episode four. So, and hello to all three listeners uh, who are all our friends. Welcome back, Jake. How's it going? Is there anything you want to tell our friends about or start off with about Kiki Cutie? No, all's good here. Nothing new. Just, uh, just ready to talk another player with you this week. And that's going to be Kiki Cutie. And... I like him. Overall, I do like him as a player. Uh, there are some downsides. Uh, obviously, his size isn't maybe what you would like. He's 5'10", a buck 80. Um, I think he's built relatively well for that size, and we've seen plenty of wide receivers with that frame have success, especially deep threats in the league with T.Y. and, and John Brown, to, to mention a couple. Um, I don't think he's he, – he certainly doesn't have an extensive route tree. Those are really my only two big knocks on him are I think he needs to develop his route running skills and his route tree. And he just wasn't asked to do that much at Texas Tech. You know, it's a pretty backyard football type of uh, game plan there for, for Texas Tech. To get to his positives, I have a I have a laundry list here. I think he's he's a great deep threat. You know, watching him with Patrick Mahomes, they... They married together so well. I think his 2016 tape, I liked watching it more just because his game and Patrick Mahomes' game went hand-in-hand really well, and I thought it was really fun to watch. He's a good deep threat. He's primarily used out of the slot, and I think that's where he'll be utilized in the NFL as well. One more negative, and it's not necessarily a negative as more as it's an unknown, is he doesn't get jammed. Not many slot wide receivers get jammed anyways, but you don't know if he can beat press man coverage. But again, if he's playing the slot position, they can put him in motion if that's an issue. Not a deal breaker for me. But yeah, deep, great deep threat. I think his hands are really good. I think he tracks the ball well downfield. I think he's really good against zone. And again, with, with those defenses you're seeing there in that conference, <laughs> there aren't many good defenses at all. So I think he's got a lot of space to work with. So it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, have the same kind of success with tighter coverage in the NFL. You see him a lot on bubble screens. He's great in space. He's got really good contact balance as a wide receiver, and his yak ability is is very good. I thought he was good. Actually, I wrote decent in contested situations, and then I crossed it out and just said good. I think he's good in contested situations, and he seems to have good field awareness. Um, so overall, I think he's I think he's a good player. Uh, it would be interesting to see how he's mixed in there with Will Fuller, since he's also a deep threat. Having Cutie in the slot and then Will Fuller um, on the opposite outside side, I think 
it could really open up some field for DeAndre and hopefully pull some of that those double coverages off of him. What are your thoughts on on Kiki? My first thought is, well, no. And then I dig, I do, I, I dig into his stats and my my thought becomes no. And the further I go, the more adjectives I put in front of that. I'm not sure if we have a age rating or whatever, so I'm not allowed to use most of those adjectives. No. <laughs> and heck, he's one of them. Heck no. He has a, actually, that's not true. I want to say he has a good regular college player arc. I think he has a fairly poor college player arc in terms of what he did over his course of his career at Texas Tech. I think he was used heavily in his last year because it was his last year. He was one of the oldest on the depth chart, most physical advantaged. It was his turn and they had no one else to turn to. There's nothing really that sticks out about Kiki Kuti or Cutie or, you know, that guy that I look at. So this should be an interesting one, and that's my overall surface thing. Obviously, I've got to cut down my point, because I keep talking for twice as long as Jake and making half as many good points. When I dig into his numbers, I don't see anything here. His team didn't find anything there. He didn't get anything of a target share until his third year. He was playing at age 18, played at age 19, played at age 20, so this isn't a Calvin Ridley situation where he just came in late. His breakout age is age 20, but that means that he was 20 at the time of his third season starting and drafted in the fourth round to be fair which is a fine draft pedigree when you're taking the later shots like QD is but the 27% of receivers with that breakout age drafted in that round breakout now that might sound positive but it's a smaller sample size so if we take a slightly larger sample size so every wide receiver drafted outside of the third round with an age 20 breakout age it drops to 8% because age 20 breakout even if we look at age 20 breakouts that are drafted in the first three rounds so players the NFL and their team targeted with more heavy draft capital break out 50 percent mm -hmm. of the time if they're drafted in the first round remember there's a big difference between a first round wide receiver and a fourth round wide receiver sure if we look at the position as a whole with an age 20 breakout age only 20 percent drafted anywhere from the first round to undrafted breakout and that's out of a 90 player sample size since 2000 but then like with calvin ridley i dig a little deeper and like i mentioned he was playing at age 18 and 19 the team just didn't see a reason to focus on it and the big reason that they didn't see a reason to focus on him at age 18, which is why I'm leading with this, um, was a wide receiver named Jakeem Grant. I I'll wait while you look him up. You, you may have heard him because there were similar arguments made about him being made about Kiki Kute. No, Miami Dolphins. Mainly because they look exactly the same. Grant is 5'6", <laughs> 165 pounds. He ran a 4.42, much like Kuti. 4.43, I think. Um, also ran a quick 40 time. And in his last season, he got about a 23% target share much like Cootie's 21% target share, so actually a lot lower, in his final season, and that's when he broke out at age 22. So this is something the team does. It's just the oldest wide receiver, the biggest physical advantage. It's, it's their turn. And Grant, who's done nothing in the NFL, no one really expects him to do anything in the NFL, is the guy who was just better than Cootie when they were on when they were in Texas Tech. That's just not a positive sign either for me. And through age 18 and 19, he didn't eclipse more than uh, 83 targets. He got 18 targets at age 18, not 82 targets at age 19. And then finally, in his last season, when he had knowledge of the playbook, experience, and a physical advantage over most uh, over a lot of players that he was facing, he finally got 121 targets. He didn't beat the average in catch rate until that season either, and then he only beat it by 13%, which is an incredibly poor showing by any drafted wide receiver in their final year with that level of target. So that's just the average for everyone that played in college in the last three years, not 
the average of good sure. wide receivers. So again, the more I dig, the less the the less I find to like. I guess I'm guessing, and everything you mentioned, Jake, sounded like uh, a lot better than what I guessed I would hear. To be honest with you, it was going to be about his measurables. Frankly, like say he ran an incredibly good. 40 time, 4.43, so a, uh, a hundredth slower than Grant, so let's just say it's the same thing, which is great, but I, again, when I just have a player like Grant from the same team that outproduced him when they were both on the same team, that I can pair him to directly, and then see that they have about the same size, about the same athletic work, workouts, and frankly, um, relative draft capital, Grant was drafted in the sixth round, Cudi was drafted in the fourth, that just seems like a relatively fair comparison same team same situation grant was better in college and grant hasn't been good oh maybe you could say hasn't had opportunity yet but also buried on a depth chart so i like what the sound of what you're seeing on tape but again it comes back to i don't know how those things translate into how often that shows in the nfl so i'm gonna bet on these things which i do know how often they relate to production in the nfl and in those he he does badly what do you think of those jake do any of those make sense or turn you off of uh, of cutie a little bit more uh not necessarily i think they're all great points uh, as usual you always have the analytical background to back up your your data uh but for me part of this issue is his adp his rookie adp in may uh june isn't quite released yet uh was 37 overall so i mean we're talking about a guy that's in the fourth round of rookie drafts we're not going to find many many of these players that have a good shot at really coming into the nfl um through any analytical basis that are, are going to have a good chance of succeeding. That being said, it's, it's a dart throw at that point. You, I mean, what's it, a 5% chance of your fourth-round rookie pick hitting? Um, it's a dart throw. I wouldn't even say he's my favorite dart throw in that range. I just I do like him as a player. Um, fantasy outlook is, you know, there's I think there's arguments for both sides of the table there. I think his landing spot in the fourth round was was pretty good. I think people expected him to go, you know, third, fourth round. Uh, Houston landing spot, I think, is good just because they have Hopkins, who t- does take a bunch of coverage. Will Fuller can take the top off the defense. He's going to get some coverage. And who else is there in that passing game? Uh, Lamar Miller might not be long for for the Texans. Uh, Deontay Foreman, if he takes over, he's not a great pass catcher. So I think there's a chance, and you know, there's not a tight end that's standing out. You know, they have Steven Anderson, they drafted Aikens, they, who knows what's going to happen there. So I think there's a chance that he could be the third option in that passing game. But I do think that there's a good chance that he's a better NFL player than he is a fantasy contributor. And even if he does hit, I think it's going to be sporadic. I, I don't see that he's going to become even probably a wide receiver three for your team anytime unless things all hit perfectly and everything lines up or maybe Will Fuller, Will Fuller um, gets injured and he steps into that secondary target role. Um, so I think that's part of the issue is that we are discussing a player that's not ranked very high, you know, wasn't drafted super high, and... Like I said, in that fourth round, you just got to kind of find guys that you that you like to take a shot on. And I did, I was listening to Matt Kelly. They dropped some nice little nuggets on, on Cutie. Um, he was top 10 in yards per target. Uh, he, is, he was top 10 in yards after catch per reception. He was top 5 in missed tackles 
uh, force per reception. Elliot Chris gave me a nice little nugget. Uh, he was first in deep yards with a thousand, despite not being in the top 40 in deep targets. So I think he has a little bit of a trump card where he's going to be a really good down the field weapon. Again, that could be an inconsistent fantasy option for us. Uh, but he also can get the ball in space. He's great on bubble screens at Texas Tech. Um, you know, in his final season, once they lost Mahomes, they didn't have a great passing game, so they, they certainly got him the ball closer to the line of scrimmage, similar to the way Christian Kirk was utilized at Texas A&M. So the, that's just a couple little stats there, and, and I don't necessarily agree with uh, disagree with you on your points, and uh, I'm not certainly not, you know, Standing on a soapbox here, trying to defend Cutie as a uh, you know mid third round rookie pick. I think he definitely deserves to be in that fourth round, um, and that's probably the spot. Depending on where I'm at in that fourth round and my roster construction, and probably how I'm feeling that day, uh, determining who I'm going to select. But he is a player that I like. I can't really argue all that much more than that. So I like my late round flyers, and so I tend to spend more attention looking at the fourth round flyers and third round flyers, and even the undrafted free agents and the wave wire pickets, and I do about first round picks. At the end of the day, first round picks are going to get opportunity, and you mostly have to take that opportunity. That's the way the NFL works. But flyers are where you really get to plant your flag. It's where you get to decide what you value, how much you're going to value it, and who you're going to value over everyone else, no matter what anyone else says. And so I think that's really where some of the evaluation processes we all go through get the most fun. Cutie is being drafted 177 in the startup draft ADP, according to Dynasty League Football's um, June ADP. Now, that's around players like Quincy Anumwa, who I would take every Sunday till Doomsday over Cudi. Um, and, then <laughs> ju- and then jumps once more. He's also... I was looking up the same thing, and I saw Quincy there, and I was like... There's no way I would be taking Quincy every day over. Right. He's also over Taiwan Taylor. And one of my mantras has become with late round flyers, draft last year's sleepers because they need more time. And by the time next year comes around, we're drafting this year's sleepers over them. So you actually get a better value on the next year and the year after that. Taiwan Taylor shouldn't have done anything yet. He has a much better production profile, much better market share, much better breakout age. He's on a much better team in terms of, the uncertainty of the target distribution. So that's one point. One point would be while he's late, he's not cheap. You're taking him over other players who have much higher likelihoods of actually hitting in the NFL, even though we are talking about low likelihoods of actually hitting in the NFL. So this year's flyer is definitely not the guy I want. And um, now when you're talking just rookie ADP, which is a much fairer point, or not fairer, you're being fair, obviously, uh, <laughs> a much better point, he's actually at um, an ADP of 29, according to rookies. So you're getting him at the end of the third. 29? Where Just was that coming high. from? Yeah, that that's DLF, ADP, and then you click on the rookie Oh, maybe I was just looking at, I don't know, I, I just looked up uh, DLF, ADP, rookies, and I clicked on June. It wasn't available yet, so I just clicked May. I just didn't think it was. Oh, it is. Oh, wow. Wow. No. No. Yes, really? June 2018 is going as Rookie 29, which is above Jamon Moore, above Deshaun Hamilton, above Edo Smith, above Darnold. And let's push him to the fourth round, right? Let's, let's say he's actually being drafted in the 40s around Deion Kane, Justin Jackson, even Equiminius St. Brown, he's at 39, Richie James, Trey Quinn, or even Darius Fountain. So you've got this, and Cedric Wilson is also in that mix as well. 
So you've got this mix of guys where you can pick anyone. No one's going to blame you in the fourth round for taking yeah. a flyer on any of them. This is the thing I get most excited about, about rookie dress and why I do pretty much everything I do with rookie analysis. So the fourth round is kind of my jam, baby. This is, this is my favorite thing. Which one of these guys do you take? Kudi should be the last one on your list. Because of the things I can find that have any signal, breakout age, call it market share, the percent, the percentage of yards compared to the percentage of receptions, the, the target share... And then breaking it down into the depth chart like I was doing with comparing him to Grant and how he actually outproduced them when they were on the same team. But let's compare him to Dion Kane or even Justin Watson, who is my favorite in this range. He's an ADP 44. All of these guys have higher breakout age. They don't just have a higher market share at a younger age. They decimate someone like Kude in terms of market share. Now talking about yards after the catch is great, but when I try to make stories, I, I rely on the numbers, but then I try to make a story to make it uh, more understandable for myself and why I'm valuing these things. But the stories are just stories, right? They're just narratives that should always be faded in my opinion. But the story I tell myself about this is that Kiki is a fast guy. He's really fast. And at the level he was playing, on the team that he was playing, who used this type of guy pretty often when they get older on their roster, like they did with Grant, he was just able to make hay. He was made, able to make yards after the catch. He was able to make people miss because he was faster than most people on the field and bigger and older and more experienced at the playbook than, what, 60% of the players he was going up against or competing with for his job on the depth chart. So that's why I think he was doing those things because he was older, more experienced, and fast. None of those things are going to make a difference when he goes into the NFL and faces against players who have always been the fastest, strongest, best, most talented players on their team. That's what the NFL is. It's a stockpile full of guys who are always the best in their room at what they did. A few of them found equals in college level and still did well in the NFL, obviously. But until they got into the NFL, they were always the best in the room. Kiki has never been the best in the room. He's never been the best on the field. But if I'm going to take a flyer, I'm going to bet on this small signal that has worked for some players. So I'm going to take Darius Fountain over him. I'm going to take Deion Kane over him. And if only because I think their situation is better. And I'm definitely taking Justin Watson, who literally dwarfs all of these players in terms of these positive signals for rookie evaluation. I can see what you're talking yourself into, that it's just a flyer that he's fast that there's something in the situation you like but there are other players that you could say similar things about that have better market share that have better breakout ages and some would say better situation but i'm imagining hopefully some of that was interesting and you want to you know hit me back so what do you think jake why is kiki the flyer of this type of group and that remember that's even if we push him down in adp say that the adp is inflated oh i just took my backpack off because i feel like i just got school but um <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I think that's, I think this is probably, and I value everything you say, but this has probably been my favorite rant or, or um, discussion of any of our podcasts so far. Um, and I think you make extremely valid points there. And I think any, any way that you can find to differentiate these guys in the fourth round and, and later, and I'm right with you. I, if he's in that 29 range, I would never be taking him there. And a bunch of those guys that you named, I like probably more than him as well. You know, I'm a huge Richie James fan. Jamon Moore is probably my fir- my favorite third-round target in rookie. And again, I, I don't have um, just rookie rankings on DLF, so I'm not sure exactly where I'd have him stacked up in this receiver class. But all I can say from a tape standpoint, and, and that's 
what I'm trying to bring to the table here is I did like what I saw on tape and then I can use what you find in your formulas and your processes to help me decipher if that player would be a better um, shot in the dark than these other guys. Now, I will, I do have a question and I'm not sure um, if you'll be able to answer it or or if it's if it's even fair, but so let's say let's say these fourth round rookie picks have a five to eight percent chance of hitting. How much more likely would these other players have a chance of breaking out than Kiki? Justin Watson has an age eighteen, uh, age nineteen breakout age, so he's not in that elite tier that I've mentioned before when we were talking about um, Calvin Ridley. I think I mentioned it there, and the numbers I was using, I'll point out, were for wide receiver three production. So, um, age nineteen breakouts drafted. Where was Justin Watson drafted? It was in the fifth round, wasn't it? I'll check that, but it is. Um, was he in the fifth round? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let's just compare the breakout ages as a whole. Age 20 breakout age, drafted at any place or undrafted, uh, breakout to be a wide receiver three, so 150 fantasy points or more, about 30% of the time over the last 18 years. Uh, age 19 breakout ages, which is what Justin Watson has, breaks out 42.7% of the time. So you're getting a 12% probability, well, not probability, that's a different word altogether, but 12% percentage bump just by switching to Justin Watson over someone like Kute and that for me since there is so little that provides any signal from rookies to the NFL 12 percent is a pretty big bump when you're already looking at a low signal anyway and that's just in breakout age if we switch to market share overall one of my favorite things about Justin Watson is that he's one of four wide receivers that I know of since drafted since 2000 and that's just drafted players. We can include undrafted, but the numbers change slightly. That has a 60% combined production of yards and touchdowns. So he produced 60% of his team's yards and touchdowns in one particular year. And that's at any age. There are four wide receivers who've done that in my entire database. I forget all their names. Three of them were drafted in the first round. One took on a serious injury during his first year, never recovered, ended up in the Canadian Football League at one point. One's Demarius Thomas, and one's Des Bryant, and one's Justin Watt. Now, all of those guys have different draft capital. There's actually one guy who has similar draft capital, but his name I forget, and it was actually produced at a wide receiver three level, so even that's positive. So that's one of my favorite things about Justin Watson. Now, where it's only, like you pointed out with Calvin Ridley, I've only got four examples that might be extremely good, and that might be extremely bad, um, because it's such a small sample. But in the fourth round, when you're really just looking for something that you can rest your hat on and say, okay, I've got a process, I've got something that provides even a 12% odds change that this guy will have a fantasy relevant season over someone else, that's just something I have to jump at. Justin Watson's got that. Kiki Kude has that so little, it's weird to put them in the same <laughs> sentence, frankly. How much more likely is it? Well, I don't really know how to run that calculation. 12% just in terms of their breakout age, but in terms of their market production, I, I, I don't know how you compare the difference between someone like, uh, I'm going to keep calling him Kiki because it's a really cool name. <laughs> Kiki compared to Justin Watson, it's not just a 12% bump. There are all these other positive things that you can say about what he did for his team, how what his team felt about him. His team... Um, which was per, Purdue, wasn't it? Not Purdue, it was an Ivy League school. Pennsylvania. It, it was Pennsylvania, that's right, the Ivy League version, because I got in trouble with that once. It's not the regular <laughs> Pennsylvania. But they thought he was so good that they just kept giving him the ball. And he didn't just produce what he was given, he dominated everyone he came up on in terms of competition. This brings me to another point I'd like to say about Flyers. I'm 
or just the metrics I use, I use them as a way to gauge how confident we are in what you and I and other people see when they watch them play, right? Because the eyes can deceive. I don't, like you said before, you don't think you're seeing anything that anyone else does. You're just working hard, you're doing the work, and that's valuable. That's why your opinion is so right and so worth listening to all the time. You go through a good process and you work hard at that process. So I think these things give us an idea of how confident we can be that what we are seeing is a product of them, not their situation, not their quarterback, not their luck of the draw in that particular year. And so if you're doing it at a younger age, if you're doing it to such a high degree of market share, that says you should be really confident in what you saw on tape. And what we see on tape with Justin Watson and what we see in numbers in Justin Watson is that he was dominant. And the team thought he was dominant. The team kept wanting to give him opportunity. Now what we see with Kiki is not that. We So I lean more towards it was situation and possibly physical advantages because of his age. And with Justin Watson, I lean much more it was talent. And talent has a way to win out, hopefully, not all the time, but hopefully when they get to the NFL. Another question that, that raises from for me is, and I think part of your answer may have been that you already answered it about the combine, but how do you think breakout age and market share are affected by lower levels of competition? You know, you get this you get this kid that's a good football player, it's a good athlete, and he's one by far the best player on his team because the level of competition on his own team is nowhere to be found. So who the hell else are they going to throw it to? And then two, the defenders that he plays in that conference are really poor. As Chris Harris says, they're the future bank managers or car (laughs) salesmen of of next year, right? It matters, obviously. Obviously it matters. You've got... uh... But I would say it's hard. I haven't found a good way of judging that. What I will say is that market share wins out more than anything else. So I always lean towards market share. Um, Also that it that way. What I think market share gives you is it takes some of that out. It says in this situation on this team, right? It's not comparing the situation. It's saying what the team thinks of them and what he was able to produce based on what he was given. I think it's not that he got a thousand yards or 4,000 yards against you know, uh, the future car salesman of America, hashtag Chris Harris, the Harris Football Podcast. It's also that he was able to do that or the team valued him enough that he gave him that opportunity. He was able to return a certain percentage value compared to the other players on his team. So what it's telling you is that he stands out on this team and he stands out enough. In, and what we see when we compare at any level of the field is that that's what happens. When the roster changes, target shares can change if players are good enough. That's what we saw with Sammy Watkins. And that's why we still value him in the NFL despite struggling here or there. Because when he's on a team, targets just inexplicably, apart from the fact it's not inexplicable, slide towards wide receiver position when they weren't sliding towards a wide receiver position at such high volume before. That's telling you it's about the player, not the team, not the scheme, not the coaching, not the competition. It's about the player. And so I think it takes some of that not risk, but and not all of it, some of that context out. And that's why I think market share has, if we could take more of that context out, it would be a better stat and I'd leave market share in the dust. But I think market share takes more of that out than definitely counting stats or definitely just looking at small sample sizes when they face tougher competition because it's just a small sample size, right? Anyone can do good or bad on a single play and it not be indicative of who they are or a single game. What we don't know is what Justin Watson will do at a higher level of competition. But we've, we've seen at the levels that they had that Justin Watson was a vacuum and Kiki was not. 
And so maybe when they get to the next level, Justin Watson isn't a vacuum anymore. But I think it's much more likely that Kiki won't be a vacuum. I've got to come up with a better term than vacuum, man. <laughs> We need to get dirt. We need to get Dirt Devil as our new sponsor. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just, and I'm not trying to argue with you. It's just for me, and I like I like Justin. I like Justin Watson. Um, I want you to argue, man. You you are very kind and polite arguing. You don't ever upset me. In fact, you make me think about players in a different way. I took Calvin Ridley in a draft, dude. Guess what happened after the immediately after the Sam Darnold episode? I traded for him so um i think hey and and really we're out here trying to help our listeners process get better but we're also here trying to make our our own processes better and see things from different perspectives and i think that's what makes us better in the end is as soon as you think that you got to figure it out or as soon as you're as soon as you think you don't need to learn anymore is is when it, the journey's over for you and anything in life um, but yeah, I just it, it's hard for me to get past um, not knowing. And again, it's there's no answer here. But we have no idea what Justin Watson would have done if he was at an SEC school or a Big Ten school. Or we have no idea if he would have fell by the wayside or or what would have happened there. And that gives me some cause for concern. But that being said, I. I still think you won me over there, and I think you made a really good point on taking Watson over Kiki. I think part of that is he didn't realize where he's being drafted, right? So you weren't taking him over a lot of these players that I'm trying to say you should take. You were already doing that. It's not like I've convinced you on these players. You clarified it, though. You made me feel even better about those players that I was taking ahead of Kiki there. All right, we should probably wrap this up. No, man, I'm going to talk to you for the next hour. You don't have you don't have things to do, do you? <laughs> it's been an hour. I, I know. That's why I said the next hour. Um, <laughs> all right. You're just making life harder on yourself right now. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to episode four. Hopefully during some of my uh, rants on Justin Watson, we got something in there about Kiki Cutie. Um and maybe Jake did too. I, I can't remember. I kind of blacked out. Um, so yeah, thanks for checking us out. We will be back with episode five with some other player that is yet undecided. Um, I've had a great time, as I always do, talking to Jake. I hope you enjoyed it too. See you next week. Later. You're at the dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. The dynasty crossroads that Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape. It's the dynasty. Yeah, uh, where film is everything. My jam. The dynasty crossroad where numbers are the key. So let's say everyone drafting is not crazy. There may not be consensus, but we'll give you everything. Crazy. We have an explicit rating. I signed us up for the explicit rating, so you can let it fly, Peter.